With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for downloading episode 153 of the Golf Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host, as always, Adam from GolfUnfiltered.com. You can follow me on Twitter at GolfUnfiltered. And you can send me an email, GolfUnfiltered at gmail.com. Folks, we hear a lot about data in sports these days, whether it be sabermetrics when we're talking about baseball to strokes gained putting or driving or anything, approach shots when it comes to golf. We hear about metrics all the time, and it can get pretty confusing. And so today I welcome on two individuals that started probably, well, I can't say probably, it is my favorite Twitter account, Data Golf, Mr. Matt and Will Corshane. They are brothers, they are related, and they put together a fantastic website, datagolf.ca, that really speaks to a lot of different metrics in the game of golf. And what I like so much about these guys, and you're going to hear it in our conversation today, is not only that they're, they know their stuff. I mean, these guys are a PhD and, you know, masters in economics and, and statistics, but they also do it in real time. They share a lot of things on Twitter as the golf tournaments are going on, which really caught my eye and why I started following them in the first place. And so you can actually see as the tournament's going on, based on the data and the analysis that they do and they share with all of us to enjoy, where the cut line's going to be, the probability of certain players making a cut, stuff like that. And it's extremely interesting. And we do get a little technical. Well, actually, we get a lot technical <laughs> in this episode. So I do apologize for those of you that might not uh, you know, really pick up on a lot of things that we're talking about. We try to keep things as high a level as we possibly could. And we are going to bring Matt and Will back on many times, I hope, in the future, because we could talk about with these guys uh, forever, you know, and, and hopefully, especially around some of the bigger tournaments, they're available to come back on to give us some predictions about who might perform better at certain venues. Before we get to the episode, I did just want to remind everyone to visit our Patreon page, patreon.golf.com slash golfunfiltered. And I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at the Hackers Paradise and THP Media and our friends over at Cleveland and Srixon. As you guys know, I do have them in my golf bag this year. I, it's getting closer, folks. It, the, the temperature is getting warmer. It is going to be over 40 degrees throughout the week next week, and I'm inching so much closer to actually being able to go out and use these clubs on a golf course. So I'm very excited about that. I'm also very excited to bring this conversation with Matt and Will Corshane from datagolf.ca to you. Sit back, relax, let's go. So, you know, we could just kind of get right into it. Um, you know, as I mentioned, guys, really enjoying the work that you guys are doing at datagolf.ca. And, you know, I came across you guys on Twitter. Um, I believe I was watching a tournament, and that's like the cool thing to do these days is to watch, you know, have an open Twitter page as well as the uh, the tournament up. And, you know, it's fun to watch these real-time 
you know, tracking stats that are coming through, but I haven't found a website that's better or a Twitter follow that's better than you guys. But before I get too ahead of myself, you know, listeners, I've got Matthew uh, Corshane and Will Corshane. Uh, same last name. They're related. So you guys are the two brothers behind <laughs> Data Golf. So, uh, Matt, I'll start with you first. You know, why don't you give us a quick introduction and how, you, you know, a little bit of your background and statistics as well as what got you interested in the game. And then, Will, we'll throw it to you right after. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so growing up, like, played a lot of golf, was a basically a golf nut. Uh, and then through university and now into grad school, I've, I've been studying economics, which is pretty heavy in statistics. So basically, like, two years ago, kind of put those two things together, uh, the stats plus the passion for golf. And then we started out as just kind of blogging. And at some point early on, we came up with this name, Data Golf. Uh, but yeah, it just started out as blog posts. And then in the last year or so, it's become, uh, more serious with data driven web pages. Yeah. Now we, as you sort of alluded to for every tournament, we have this, this live model that runs through, runs throughout the duration of the event. And basically what it's doing is it's giving, uh, live win probabilities and top five probabilities and made cut probabilities. Uh, and we also have a few cool, other cool things. And basically the idea behind the site really when it started was just, we wanted a way to sort of develop our develop the skill set that we acquired in school and golf was a nice way to do it because one, it has really good data. And two, uh, just because of our background in golf, we sort of have all the extra context that makes analyzing the data a bit easier. And so, yeah, that's sort of where it is now. We just keep trying to build our skill set and keep creating uh, cool products and yeah. Definitely. We're excited for the future, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a definite cool product. And, and Will, you know, I'm reading on the About page right now of datagolf.ca, and, you know, it's funny. <laughs> I had to let, Obviously, you guys are having a lot of fun with this, too, and it's extremely valuable information. But, Will, I love in your, your profile, it says that you hadn't hit a good shot since 2011 until you recently switched to playing left-handed. That, how, did you, how did you come about knowing? Is that true that you started? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the sad part is about that is it's, it's not a joke at oh, all. Oh, no. Um. So yeah, like one thing about our background is that we play a lot of golf, and at one point we were both playing at like a fairly high level. Um, we were actually in a Twitter debate the other day, and someone was kind of questioning our, golf, our, our general golf IQ, and Matt threw out that we were both scratch golfers at one point. Um, but I don't, I don't know how, like Matt, Matt, I think, I don't know if I was ever officially a scratch, but I think Matt actually officially had a handicap in the scratch levels yeah, I, um i always played well on the home course so that, yeah that, i think that my game enough. traveled my game definitely traveled better mm-hmm. um but yeah and then around like age 16 i just lost distance and i was wasn't hitting shots solid in any way like they were just very weak the ball flight just wasn't there anymore and now golf has just become so frustrating from that standpoint where like i just can't go out and play a I just I just feel like I can't really hit hit good shots. Like I play with someone who's going to score much worse than me, but they but they still hit the odd shot where I'm just like like wow like I can't hit that shot. Um, so yeah, a few years ago I actually did spend the summer playing left-handed, and hmm. it's beyond difficult. Or it was difficult for me, but yeah, there were some shots where I would hit it, and I knew full well I can't do that right-handed. Um, <clears throat> That's incredible. But then I can't. But yeah, since I stopped playing so much now that I'm, well, I live in Toronto now in the city and golf is expensive. 
now I'm, I'm I only play a couple times a year, so I got to bring out the right-handed clubs, or else <laughs> it can get pretty ugly pretty fast. <laughs> That's awesome. So you alluded to the fact that you guys are in uh, t- the Toronto area, and are you both? Do you both live in the Toronto area? Uh, I'm actually I'm actually in Vancouver. Oh, okay, perfect. And yeah. so. You know, it's funny because you guys uh, both have this this rich background uh, from an education standpoint in statistics and economics. And Matt, as you were kind of saying, you know, you married the two things together. It's something that I try to do as well at Golf Unfiltered. And I don't do as good a job at it as you guys have done. Um, And I want to get into a little bit about what data golf is. And, you know, Matt, you began to allude to it, you know, during tournaments, you begin to send out these tweets with this, you know, predictive model where you can, you send out all sorts of different things. What, you know, the probability of somebody making a cut in real time versus what, you know, that cut line might be as every player finishes. It's, it's really interactive and extremely engaging. Um, what gave you the idea to kind of take everything towards the, the, you know, Twitter, you know, everyone, you can create a blog, and you can kind of drive people to that blog to find all the content. But, Matt, you guys are really kind of putting things out there for people to see in bite-sized chunks on Twitter. What, what made you decide that? Yeah, I think at the start we just we needed some way to uh, – I mean, at the very start we were just posting the stuff on our website and uh, you'd, you'd get the odd page view once a day or something, like one or two people. Mm-hmm. Um, so we needed some way to, yeah, try and reach a bigger community. So – I guess we sort of just one day started a Twitter account and then maybe a couple weeks later we finally got a, a retweet from one of the, the bigger names in the golf Twitter community, which, like yourself, someone who has whatever, a few thousand followers or more. Mm-hmm. And then that sort of maybe gave us, I think uh, Adam Sarson in the beginning was pretty helpful for us. He gave he tweeted to all his followers. He's a pretty big following and he sort of tweeted like, yeah, check these guys out. They They do some cool stuff. And then right away we sort of picked up two, three hundred people. Um, so and like Jake more... Nichols as well. Right, yeah. Jake Nichols yeah. from 15th Club, um, mm-hmm. who they do stats themselves. So, And yeah, both him and Adam Sarson both just kind of recommended us to their followers, which is like super cool of them. We probably wouldn't be doing this right now without that. <clears throat> it's, yeah. a, it's a great way to, to, to build your your audience and you know to the names that you mentioned i mean they're they're great they they have their uh their niches as well and you know it's interesting because when you talk about enjoying the game of golf not a lot of people want to talk a lot about numbers and data visual visualizations and and the like but you guys do it in a clear concise way that really kind of adds to the viewing experience which i really appreciate and will i mean i know in your background you do a lot of You've got that statistical modeling and data visualization. Um, one of the hot topics right now, of course, is you know driver distance, just to kind of give listeners an example of what we're talking about. You created a visualization that listeners, you can go out right now to the website, datagolf.ca, and, and find this visualization of how uh, distances are increasing. Um, Will, in your experience, do you find that kind of putting – uh, data into a graphical summary is is more warmly accepted by the layperson. Yeah, definitely, and not even just the average person. I think everyone, like Matt and I, have been through. I mean, Matt's still in his PhD, is reading academic papers with just numbers. You just see the numbers, not no graphs or no nice graphs anyway. 
it's just so refreshing to see something laid out in like a clean and very professional way that is just super easy to, to, to digest. I mean, the driving distance evolution thing, for example, I mean, there's all this talk about the averages and what that's been, how, how the averages have been increasing, but to see the full distribution and how it's changed throughout the year, like maybe, maybe the driving distance has gone up, but everyone is now driving it. Maybe the variance of the distribution has narrowed. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean, we offer this because to see how a distribution has changed over time is, is a hard thing to visualize. So, I mean, that this, this one in particular was just, um, yeah, to show exactly that, how driving distance has been changing, not only in terms of the averages, but also um, the tails. So how, how spread out driving has been. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what we hang our hat on. Um, mm-hmm. Not only do we do like the, the good, um, nice like statistical analysis, but we also follow through and do and present it in such a way that, yeah, like you said, everyone can digest it. Not, you, don't, you don't necessarily have to be a statistical have the background that we do, you can also just be a general fan of the game and you can benefit from it as well. It's definitely something that, like I said earlier, adds to the viewing experience. And, you know, the visualization that we're talking about right now, because it is so timely, is a driving distance evolution wheel that you you mentioned, and it goes from 1983 to 2017. And when you talk about the distribution, listeners, you should understand, I mean, those of you who understand what a bell curve looks like, you know, you're going to have, you know, uh, outliers on either end. Uh, And you're going to have this whole shift, as you'll see if you go and view the visualization on the website, you're going to see the entire graph just kind of begin to shift towards the right, which would imply greater driver distances. And so, you know, Matt, I'm I'm interested from your point of view, you know, we talk a lot about equipment on this website and on this podcast there's a lot it's it's evident and it's obvious that distances are increasing do you feel that and how do you respond to folks that that's you know try to imply no it's not a problem in the game right now do you matt see it as a problem with with uh, driver distance right now yeah i mean i don't think i can speak so much to the debate about uh distance sort of making golf slower and making it more expensive to build courses because they need to be longer. Uh, but one thing I do think is interesting with the debate about whether it's on the professional tour, whether uh, power is becoming too important. So uh, it, it basically making it, I think recently someone, there was some quote by Zach Johnson, uh, or no, it wasn't Zach. I think it was either Luke Donald or Zach Johnson sort of saying that he's giving up uh, like half a stroke per round off the tee. Mm-hmm. And, uh, to be a top five player in the world, just given past data, you need to beat you need to beat the average player by two shots around. So he's giving up half a shot of the tee. So that means he needs to make up two point five strokes somewhere else. And he's basically he said uh, that's basically impossible. So mm. for the, the, there are people who who seem to think the game is getting uh, too skewed towards those who have a lot of power. But one thing that's interesting is if you look at the last five or ten years. Uh, Basically, ever since they've been keeping track of the strokes gain data, which I think is 2003, um, the top players on tour still, and it's, it's been constant through the entire period, they're still gaining about half their strokes, uh, I think, off the tee mm-hmm. and off the tee with the long game, and half the strokes are still being gained with the, uh, what is it? Sorry, if you consider ball striking, it's still half the strokes are being gained off the tee and half are being gained with the approach shot. So it's not, 
Uh, I mean, if people are saying that power should be taking over the game, then you, you should see that, uh, I mean, driving distance, or not driving distance, strokes gained off the tee should be a, should be capturing the lion's share of, of what's separating players. But you right. still see that, that putting and uh, amongst the best players, the reason they're the best, it's, it's not just due to driving. It's still, uh, I actually tweeted about it at some point, and it was about 50% either way. Um, which I thought was interesting because, and it hasn't changed over time, or at least the last ten years, which is uh, is interesting. I think it it really is, and it, you're absolutely right. I mean, as far as you would see, you would expect to see a a skew if what we believe to be true is actually true, and that, as you outlined, Matt, that power is becoming a problem in the game. I mean, if it's a fifty fifty split. As far as what the data shows and the analysis that you guys have done, it, it it really has that has maintained consistency over years. And so, you know, Will, I think one of the biggest uh, things that I like about this visualization is the fact that you can actually see that happening. You know, it, it while the in, uh, overall average is increasing, and I don't really think anyone's debating that the ball's going farther. Uh, the argument, though, could be made thanks to analysis like yours that generally speaking players are still kind of fitting within the same ballpark if if you know what i mean like there there are of course the dustin johnsons and the tony finaus and the and the folks that that hit the ball a mile but there are still the the main group of the population is still around that that average and so i think you know that's that's a message will that you guys are getting out pretty pretty strong yeah definitely like and i mean i guess it, it does matter a lot, I guess, what course that you're playing. Like when you hear the the, pro, the pros complain about this, it's often they're coming off a week where they thought the course was particularly susceptible to people being like Rory just bombing it over bunkers, um, like the one in Abu Dhabi, I think, or Dubai. One of the, I think, maybe both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Matt, Matt Fitzpatrick maybe tweeted as well. Just yeah, like that they didn't really have a fighting chance at a course like this. But I think what is also lost a little bit in this whole conversation is that, like, we're still talking about, it's not like, like, driving the ball 300 yards down the middle, or 320 down the middle, is like, a very, it's a it's a huge skill, it's part of golf. Like, and then like, people are kind of just saying, oh, it's not fair that Rory is hitting it 330 down the middle. Well, I mean, if you talk to Rory, he might think it's not fair that he's three-putting from four feet twice a week. Like, it's... <laughs> Right, it's right. still it's still part of the it's part of the game and like nothing is more impressive or more to do with the game of golf than hitting it far. Um, so I think that 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 part's kind of lost. Like people seem like they when they're when they're discussing it they seem like they want to eliminate driving distance completely. Like sometimes it they, it comes off like that, and I certainly don't think we want to be heading towards something like that. I still think distance should be a huge advantage because it's it is a huge it's a skill set that deserves to be rewarded. And the data shows it. I mean, it, it, you outlined it perfectly. It's it's to that example of Rory. I mean, if he, yeah, he could pound the ball a mile. And, you know, I'm one of those people that feel that distance is becoming a problem just from a real estate standpoint. But you're absolutely right. You still have to make the putt. And, you know, Matt, you were saying that because of the 50-50 split, the short game and, you know, 100 yards and in, for example, is still just as vital, if not even more so, than the long game. And so, you know, you can't really sacrifice one or the other. You really do truly have to have the full package, not to use a cliche. Isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think 
I guess one counterpoint would be that, uh, like, maybe the, maybe the game is going towards a point where uh, kind of to get on the P- – so when you look at the PGA Tour, uh, the guys that are on tour, uh, it's still not the case that driving distance is the biggest separator. But we may get to the point where it's just not possible to make the PGA Tour if you hit the ball 270 off the tee. So it's sort of like everybody that you, – you have to hit it some distance to, to even be able to compete on tour. But then, uh, but then still, once you're on tour, you, we may not see that driving is uh, separating people that much. Like an extreme example would be you need to hit, you need to hit the ball 320 to get on tour. Mm-hmm. So everybody on tour hits at 320. So if, if I just looked at the strokes gained, I would see that, oh, there's, there's no strokes being gained off the tee because everybody just hits at 330. But it's still the case that driving is really important because if, if you don't hit at 320, you just, you just can't compete. So I do think... That'd be the sort of caveat to my earlier mm-hmm. claim, my claim about whatever strokes gained off the tee not being as important as people think. Uh, it may be it may be the case that guys like Luke Donald and Zach Johnson uh, in the future just may not be able to compete on tour. But uh, it could be. What I find really interesting from an equipment standpoint um, is the fact that all clubs in the bag are being designed to hit the ball further, and so. You know, it's almost like the guys like Zach Johnson, the shorter hitters. Uh, I feel like I'm picking. We're picking on Zach Johnson. But we really don't mean. To. Um, but you know, uh, he doesn't hit the ball as far as some of the others on tour. But you know, he's got equipment now that are. You know, they got these jacked up lofts. You know, the the many times the uh, lofts on these clubs are a lot stronger than they were three, four, five years ago, and they're able to really plan their games appropriately and make up for that lack of you know driving distance which is something that we see and why people like zach johnson luke donald and others can still compete and in some cases still win but you know guys i wanted to transition a little bit and take a step back perhaps for you know folks who might not be as familiar with how strokes gained works now this is something that's been along for around for a long time you guys mentioned it's probably been around since like 2003 and you know if we were to break this down just at its most fundamental level, you know, for the person that watches golf on TV, what's the best, you know, summary of what strokes gain actually means? I'd like to hear from both of you, and, and Will, I'd like to throw it to you first just to kind of get an idea of, you know, what does strokes gained actually refer to? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm actually going to divert this right over to Matt. Sure, no, <laughs> that's fine. Like, he, he's like, um, he's definitely read the, the thing more, and I don't want to misspeak in any way, so Matt is definitely going to deliver a better answer than me on this. I'll concede him that. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> all right. All right, I'll try and not botch this, but yeah. <laughs> don't worry, I, think... I misspeak all the time, so it's perfectly fine. Um, yeah, I think yeah, this is actually pretty critical. Will and I have been saying recently, like, I think just in the conversation on Twitter, it does seem like people maybe don't have a perfect handle on stroke scan, which is fine because it is a, it is, it can be complicated, but yeah, basically what these things are, these stats are doing is we're going to, we're going to see that some player beat the field in a given week by six shots. So they were, that means by that, I mean, they were six strokes better than the average uh, throughout that week and the average score throughout that week. And then the strokes gain statistics, which are, uh, I believe they're broken down by driving or off the tee and then approach shots and then around the green and putting. It's going to break those six strokes uh, into each of those categories. So 
the first thing that people should realize is that uh, the four stroke skin categories add up to uh, the game of golf, basically. How many strokes you beat uh, the average pro by uh, in that week. So, so yeah, strokes gained off, strokes gained tee to green, and then plus strokes gained putting, uh, that's going to equal just how many strokes you beat the field by. And the basic way that each stat works, if you take, let's just focus on strokes gained off the tee, mm-hmm. uh, it's, a, it's a simple formula. You, just, you start on the tee, let's say it's a 400-yard hole. Um, using past data, the PJ Tour is estimated from 400 yards off the tee, how many strokes, uh, what's the average number of strokes it takes a pro, a PJ Tour pro, to hole out from that distance. So let's say it's, it's 4.1 strokes. So, and then I hit my 400-yard tee shot 300 yards down the middle of the fairway. So now I'm 100 yards from the green, and the PGA Tour, again, has estimated, using past data, how many strokes does it take to hole out from 100 yards? And let's say it's 2.5. So basically, strokes gained is simple once you have that. I just I hit a tee shot from a spot where it takes 4.1 strokes to hole out, uh, and I hit, one, I hit one drive, and now I'm at a location where it takes 2.5 strokes to hole out. So uh, I gained 1.6 stroke in that... Uh, by, by hitting that one shot. So on that single tee shot, that means I've gained 1.6 minus 1 equals 0.6 strokes. So it's just um, the difference between uh, the, the averages using past data from one location to the next. Exactly, yeah. And the only shortcoming, I mean, there's a couple, I mean, these stats are amazing. Like Mark Brody, I don't know if there's a sport that has been so revolutionized statistically by a set of statistics. Um, just because they, they kind of make everything else obsolete. Like, strokes gained off the tee, sort of, if you give me that, I don't really care about driving accuracy or uh, driving distance. or Just because strokes gained off the tee is encapsulating all those things. Um, but, yeah, that's the simple formula. You just, from, from before I hit the shot, how many strokes does it take a pro, a pro to hole out? After the shot, how many strokes does it take uh, a pro to hole out from that spot? And then you just take the difference, subtract one stroke, and that's how many strokes gained you had on that shot. It, it seems very simple. And I guess one question I have, and I, I honestly don't know the answer to this, is is it uh, does the strokes gain uh, shift pertaining to the course? Or is it just in general all tournaments that are being held and all pros that play in a season? Right. So the they do correct for that in a rough way. So they um, the function that they use to calculate uh, – and I guess I should say the only inputs to calculate the average number of strokes to hole out are distance and what they call location, which is either fairway, rough, uh, bunker, or I think native area or something. Um, and so what they'll do is if, if everybody gained, so they'll use that, what I'm going to call the baseline function, they'll, they'll calculate everybody's strokes gained using that. Mm-hmm. And let's say it's a really easy driving course. A good example is Kapalua. Everybody's bombing it like 400 yards off a few of the holes. Um, at the end of the day, they'll see that the average strokes gained was, was one. So what they do is they subtract the mean off at the end of the day. So okay. maybe Rory gained three strokes relative to the baseline function, and uh, Zach Johnson lost the stroke. <laughs> Zach Johnson gained one stroke. Poor Zach. So then uh, if the average that day was one stroke, then, uh, then we would say that the published stats you see on the PGA Tour website will say that Zach gained zero strokes off the tee and uh, Rory gained two. So I they see. just subtract off the mean that day, which is a rough way of correcting for 
the course difficulty. There's there's uh, there are a few issues with that, but in general, the stats are are amazing. So yeah, like what they don't um, like if you hit one in the left rough the same distance as you hit it in the right rough, that's the same strokes right. gained. But you could there could be a hole where like left rough is absolute jail, and like that could be a worse shot. Like so, it yeah. can account for stuff like that where oh, okay. like if you hit it in absolute jail but you hit it the same distance as your playing partner who's done the right rough and has a perfect angle you guys have and you guys have the same distance to the hole that's the you guys get the same strokes gained even though you probably just lost half a shot right so there's still that that subjectivity that's unavoidable pertaining to each hole that you play i mean it's it's still not going to be reflected in the in the metric Right. Yeah. The hope would the hope would be that it just sort of averages out. When a guy, if you play enough, uh, you'll have enough cases where you're sort of what the, the what the the number of the function is spitting out is worse than your actual situation, and sometimes it'll be better. So I guess mm-hmm. the hope is it just averages out. Gotcha. And so for yeah. the layperson, that's you know, strokes gained gets thrown out all the time on Twitter, and you guys actually do a really great job of putting it into context, and you actually show how a player will perform in comparison to others. But, you know, just to kind of give listeners an idea of what a good strokes gained would be, I mean, obviously, if you can gain a stroke on the field in any category, that, that would be great. But, you know, driving strokes gained, I mean, are we looking at somewhere, like what would a strokes gain value of three be in driving? Would that be astronomically good right in the middle or towards the low end? That would be a very good round of driving, almost like a crazy round of driving. Really. Okay. Um, I'm actually pulling up them now. Uh, yeah, like Jordan Spieth, I'm just looking at since 2010, he only has about five rounds of strokes gained off the tee greater than two. And gotcha. his his average looks to be around 0.5. And then if you pull up someone like uh, DJ, DJ has... His highest we have him at is four, and that was actually this year at the tournament at uh, Kapalua. Mm. And that was just because he drove it to an inch on that par four, where he gained. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, if you average like a strokes gain of one off the tee, which is what Dustin looks to have done since 2010, that's obviously like best of the best. Right, and it's exceptional, and we can see that with our own eyes too. Like we, what this data does is it confirms what our eyes are seeing, and so um, it's funny to say that because you know I'm sure there are some listeners listening to this like, wow, these guys are talking about all these numbers. I can see from a practical standpoint that Dustin Johnson almost aced a par four, <laughs> and we I don't need data to tell me that. But what the benefit of understanding this type of stuff is is exactly what you just you guys just outlined is the magnitude to which these players are performing in comparison to their peers. I mean, that, I think that's that's the biggest benefit of, of what Strokes Gain offers. Yeah, what's also interesting is, like, um, is that just how even, like, Dustin Johnson, obviously top three driver on tour, arguably the best, he, like, I just have his, all of his Strokes Gains plotted with Jordan Spieth, and... There are, it looks like I just threw paint on the wall. Like there's, it's it, it's very random. Like you can barely tell without a without like an average line going through. It's almost hard to tell who would be the better driver. So, like Dustin Johnson is still, like he's he'll have horrible driving days still. And what and 
I mean, it looks like Jordan Spieth is more consistent, but I mean, these are still very random. Uh, it's, it's still like golf in general is just very random. And even though when we look at Justin, Dustin Johnson and we think he's a really good driver, you don't realize how often even someone like I'll choose Kevin Na or someone, mm. not not ZJ. Um, <laughs> he's had enough. Even like someone like Kevin Na is going to have better strokes gained off the tee than uh, Dustin, like pretty frequently. But uh, in terms of averages, yeah, Dustin is obviously much better. <laughs> yeah. So truly, truly fascinating things. And listeners, I really do encourage you to go out and dig in deep to datagolf.ca. I mean, it's it's stuff that you can get lost in. I mean, I think the best thing, guys, that you guys are doing is that you're open to explaining these things to people who ask you questions. And both Will and Matt's email addresses are available in the Contact Us website. Um, guys, I just had a couple more questions for you. And, I, and again, I thank you for your time this evening. But I want to talk about the goals of the site in general. I mean, this is information that I would feel professionals would want to know. Uh, has anyone reached out from the PGA Tour, whether it be an agent, a player themselves, or anybody, uh, to kind of say, hey, you guys want to take a look at my stats for the last few years? I imagine that's kind of like the, the, the pie-in-the-sky goal that you guys are shooting for. Um, yeah, so we had one, we've had one guy, uh, reach out, or I guess his coach reached out. So Joel, Joel Damon, he's on the, he's a full member of the PGA Tour this year. And basically we just, in between, uh, in the off season, which isn't long in golf, but basically in December, we kind of wrote up a document for him that, uh, went over his last year. He was on a mix of the web.com and the PGA Tour that just sort of went through all of his data. Um, but no, in general, we haven't had uh, too much interaction with any professional coaches or players. Uh, I think I think the goal of the site initially was definitely sort of just to provide a cool experience for the golf fan, I think, mostly just for consumption, stuff that's uh, like the blog posts. A lot of the blog posts are about sort of putting some data behind uh, like either whether the uh, old adages in golf whether it's a myth or like how how hard it is to follow up a good round with another good round stuff like that and now we do this live stuff that just makes following a golf tournament uh sort of gives a different perspective on it so i I don't know i think we're still kind of trying to decide what the goals of our website are going forward but i don't know how much we're going to move into the the space of sort of talking with professional golfers i mean if any if any of them approached us we'd obviously be happy to to help but uh there are i think there are a few other players in that space that sort of have a bigger network and um are already sort of have a nice player base and we don't really know how to kind of move into that just yet anyway well i'd imagine that if you keep doing what you're doing people are going to notice and i would not be surprised if people do reach out on tour to to learn a little bit more and you know guys the last question i had for you is in regard to just we we hear a lot about, you know, the good old days, you know, any sports fan is going to say, well, the people, the, the players to now, the, you know, today aren't as good as yesteryear, but I know you guys got an article picked up on PGATour.com about the next generation of players. And, you know, just generally speaking, guys, and Will, I, I want to hear from both of you, but Will, I'll start with you. You know, what's your opinion on this new breed of, of golfer? I mean, they're more well-informed. They've got track man to to help dial in all of their clubs and perform at the, the best possible uh, performance they can. Um, are they truly better than yesteryear? 
<clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's a loaded question for sure. Um, <laughs> I did that on purpose. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we actually have, so yeah, we did that article on PJTour.com, which basically said uh, two things, is that the, the PJ Tour is getting younger, and also that these young players seem to be performing better than the young players of previous generations. So <clears throat> the guys who are coming out on, on the scene now who are under the age of 26 they are picking up top 10s and top 20s much more frequently, or they're taking a larger chunk of the pie, of the, of the, the top five pie, than the young players of earlier generations were. <clears throat> so, I mean, from that standpoint, they definitely seem to be more prepared and more ready. Um, but in terms of how much better golf has been getting over the years, it is a really hard question to answer, and we actually did try and do it in an article. We didn't post it to pjtour.com because the results were pretty almost controversial in a way. Um, mm. <clears throat> just how much we just found that the, that the skill was getting so much better like year after year on PJ Tour. And I know my map might be able to speak to it better than me. Um, <clears throat> but it, I think like, we still found that 2000, I think 2008 or 2009 Tiger was still the best golfer we ever saw um but like 2015 or 2014 rory was pretty close Hmm. in terms of uh, i mean obviously that you'd have to look into how we did it to to feel if that's believable or not sure sure. but that's kind of what we found out that's that's fascinating and and it's something that i've i've heard before from some of the other sites that we mentioned earlier in our conversation And, and matt would you agree with with your brother that you know uh, basically, they're taking the younger players now are legit. They're taking uh, bigger chunks of the pie, so to speak, to use uh, Will's words. Um, but overall, you know, we're seeing, uh, you know, just a whole chunk of players still performing at an extremely high level. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with that. I think the the young guys today are really good. I think I think golf, like any sport, really, I don't think it should be too controversial to claim that. Uh, the average quality of player in a PGA Tour field has just steadily gotten better since um, whatever, the the 1980s. Like, any sport where it's really easy to track performance, like, I just think of track and field where everything is just time-based, or or, I don't know, swimming as well, but in track and field, you see uh, over the years the steady uh, increase in uh, the quality of performance. So I don't see why we should think it, it should be different in golf. And um, as Will alluded to in the, the article we wrote where we tried to compare people across generations, um, it is a bit of a... So we go all the way from 1983 to the present day, and basically, I'm just looking at it now, and we find that, uh, again, people really aren't going to like these results, but the average player in like 20... <laughs> the average player in 2015 or 2016 is about on par with... Uh, with I'm looking at now, Greg Norman in, in 1989, and... And what we mean by that is if basically how we did this, the simple version was just because Rory McIlroy never played against Greg Norman, or at least I don't think they did, at least not in their not in their primes, obviously. Basically, the rough version of what we do is we compare Rory to uh, Tiger, all the rounds they played together, and then we compare Tiger to, well, let's just jump all the way to Greg Norman. Suppose Tiger and Greg Norman were close enough. Um, so we basically compare how Roy did to Tiger and how Tiger did to Greg Norman. And then, so through their performance relative to Tiger, we're trying to compare Rory and Norman. Um, oh, I see. And obviously you can think of many flaws with that, like aging and whatnot. And we try and, 
we try and take care of that. Uh, and it's not just one player. It's not just Rory be compared to Tiger, be compared to Norman. It's We're doing this with hundreds of players at the same time. And uh, I mean, I do think the results are a bit too severe. I don't actually maybe believe that Greg Norman in 1990 is the same as the average player today. But... Well, I don't know. I don't know that it's so far fetched. That's twenty years. If you think of the, if you think of track and field again, it was a huge deal to break the four minute mile, and now you have people in high school who break the four minute mile. Part of that is right. due to technology, but uh, it, I don't know. It's food for thought. I don't think it's a settled argument. No one. I mean, yeah, we had a lot of pushback when we posted that, so. which I'm actually surprised to hear because uh, I don't think it's too far fetched at all. I mean, I think. I mean, obviously, these these players, the, we know their names for a reason. I mean, you know, I mean, like Greg Norman was the number one player most frequently and most consistently ever before Tiger Woods. And, you know, in comparison and in relativity to their competition, they they were the best at that time. And so, you know, mm-hmm. and the other thing, too, what's funny, guys, is that, you know, no matter what anyone says to you guys, no matter what pushback you receive, we all watch golf and we all compare these players from yesteryear to today. So we're doing it in our minds anyway. And so for you guys to actually go out and find data, understanding that there's other variables in mind, but everyone's got such as equipment and technology, as you pointed out, uh, Matt, you know, everyone still has access to that same technology. So. You know, I've done a lot of equipment testing on my site and others listening to this probably have as well. And the the gap of performance from one driver to the next, from one iron set to the next, from one wedge to the next, from one ball to the next is extremely narrow. I don't care what anyone says. And I'm going to catch flack for that, guys. So I'll join join the club in there as well. But, hey, guys, you know, I I want to bring you guys back on. Uh, I'm sure we could talk about this for hours. Um, but I do appreciate you for coming on to tell us a little bit about what Data Golf is. And again, listeners, the website is datagolf.ca. You can follow these guys on Twitter at Data Golf. Matt and Will, I really appreciate you guys coming on. I promise you this will not be the last time because I, I love you guys. You guys are probably my favorite follow on Twitter, and I'm genuinely saying that because it's so interesting and different. And I'd love to have you back on if you guys are game. Yeah, thanks a lot. Um, yeah, any and any time, we'll definitely be happy to come back. Yeah, thanks a lot for having us. This was a lot of fun. Hopefully, we can do it again.